So what's next for you? Things are changing fast. We know this. We can feel this. And that acceleration is having some wear and tear on how we prepare for what's next. By one estimate, more than 60% of today's kids entering high school are going to end up working in new jobs that don't even exist today. So what's next for you four years from now? See, it used to be that a career path was clear. We adopted a well-worn practice such as sports, music, teaching, sales, marketing, accounting, legal, computer science even, and you became incrementally more accomplished and strategic at that thing as you advanced through your career. But today, it's a different story. In many cases, there are no well-worn practices. You see, on one side, you've got jobs that we've created as a necessity of dealing with the disruptive world we live in. So what's next for the digital marketing specialist, the social media manager, the chief listening officer, the SEO specialist, the app designer, the managing editor, the blog manager, the content strategist? You see, many times today, in order to advance in a company, these specialists have to either think about broadening out into other more well-worn established areas, like get into accounting or computer science or direct marketing, or switch companies. But in either case, this many times means that these specialists have to actually start doing less of the very thing that keeps them excited about the job to begin with. On the other side, we've started to invent titles to make us feel better about how we fill the gaps of the micro-tasks that have to be done. Now we have rock stars and ninjas and wizards and gurus. We have the growth hacker, the chief everything officer, the director of first impressions, chief cheerleader, and yes, I'm serious here, the galactic viceroy of research excellence. On that last one, I just had to check LinkedIn to make sure it wasn't made up. And sure enough, it's not quite right. It's actually senior galactic viceroy. Yeah, it would seem a promotion has been in order. But what if the next job, the next company, the next role, the what's next, doesn't really account for a senior galactic viceroy of research excellence? What's next? What is actually next for all of us? When I asked a few of my colleagues this, the general consensus seems to be, well, we'll worry about that down the road. For those that were in these niche, actual jobs, they were more focused on today's needs and the meaning of their work rather than the actual title or career. And that's a very fair point. For those in the odd creative titles, they too, for the most part, said, yeah, I'll let the future me worry about that one. And both of these things are what economists call temporal discounting, where we'll pay a premium for a value today versus over future rewards. I want to be tan today, so yeah, I'll let the future me worry about sun damage. But should we? 
I mean, not to get all philosophical here, but should we care about the future us's in a way that lets us answer what's next? Should we adopt the idea that we never step in the same river twice, we're always different, and thus we'll deal with the new as the different person we are when the new comes? Or should we plan and envision ourselves in the future we want so that we can at least attempt the answer to what's next? What's next? So I don't have an answer for you today. I'm just asking the question. But I will say this. One of the questions I'm being asked these days most is, how do I acquire the best talent? And my answer back is simple. Provide for the clearest, sharpest, and most valuable career path. And that probably doesn't mean inventing categories and titles that make it even harder for people to answer, what's next? And that's the theme of our show today, what's next? As Indiana Jones said so appropriately, I'm going after that truck. Oh, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Now it's time for me, the Global Grand Duke and Viscount of Business Storytelling, and my friend Joe, His Royal Highness, Duke of Publishing, Baron of Orange, and Grand Poobah of all things content marketing, to get on with What's Next. That's our little podcast. You ready for a new title? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 205 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, October 15th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and I said in the introduction, His Royal Highness, Duke of Publishing, Baron of Orange, and Grand Poobah of Content Marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I gotta tell you, I've had a rough week. I know. Your sports ball teams have uh, really taken a beating as it were. As I told you before we <laughs> started this little thing, uh, yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to take up a new sport. <laughs> Curling. Curling. <laughs> Curling. I'm, Bocce I'm ball. Bring my broom and I'm going to, yeah. What other sports could I take up? I mean, it's... Cornhole. It's, you cornhole. Can do that. I've yeah. actually thought about, I have a, a couple friends, um, and I think you know them, but we've, we've talked about actually going to a cornhole tournament. Oh yeah, okay. shot right. Pickleball. Yeah. I just played pickleball for the first time. What is pickleball? Uh, pickleball is a. F- it's fun. It sounds completely stupid when I tell you what it is, but it's really good. So, do you like tennis? Do you play yeah, tennis? Sure. And do you play ping pong? Yes. So imagine a combination of ping pong and tennis. So it's played on a tennis court, um, and the, but there are different lines. It's a little smaller. The the out of bounds lines are smaller. And you play, it's like, and it's wooden paddles, so like uh, like ping pong paddles, but bigger. And then the ball is like a wiffle ball. Um, and, and so it bounces kind of good, but not really. 
but the idea is, is that it's like ping pong. So you can, it's, you know, so it's like tennis and you can bounce it. And, and I mean, but you, you know, you smack it as hard as you can and it's a wiffle ball. So it doesn't go that fast. So it's like a slower version of tennis. It is so fun. It is. It, I have to tell you, I thought it was going to be completely stupid and I had the best time of my life. It was yeah, because so it, because it sounds stupid. That's yeah. It does sound stupid. I know it sounds stupid. The it's name is like, stupid. Why don't and you it just play stupid. ping pong or tennis? But I'll I'll it's, have to see this. I'll have to. Yeah. To no. 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 It's 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 really good. Get on good. the old yeah. YouTube and watch yeah. Well, now if you know YouTube. if you go to YouTube, what you're going to see is a bunch of geriatric, you know, <laughs> people playing it <laughs> at a snail's pace. You Pickleball have to, by yeah. Robert Rose. <laughs> Hello, welcome to pickleball. Hello, you got to hit it just like this. Oh my goodness! All right, yeah. I would actually pay to see Robert Rose play pickleball. Yeah, no, it's 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 Rob that plays pickleball. Oh, yeah, there that's you go. right, yeah. it's Rob. Did you see all the tweets last? I week? did. Thank you very much for Rob? nothing, folks. Yeah, hi, Thank Rob. Very... <laughs> but but still, when yeah. I but still when we go to these conferences, you'll you still run into people that say, "Hey, how's Rob doing?" I'm like, I, know. I don't know who's Rob. Yeah. Oh, Robert. <laughs> what? That Anyways. is correct. So yes, that is I'm, correct. I'm getting I'm getting over the whole Cleveland Indians thing, and yeah. I'm excited about really, really going full bore into my Cleveland Browns, who are yeah five. Lean into that, man. You got to lean into, into that. Yeah. Although the Cavs start next week, no, this week. Cavs Celtics mm-hmm. play this week uh, for yeah. the opening, so that's a little drama there with LeBron and Kyrie Irving and all that stuff. Right, so. but you just lost somebody, right? I just saw on on the news. Didn't you? Didn't somebody get traded away? Yeah, they they had to. <laughs> they have too many people on their team, so they had to get rid of a couple yeah. to make be, make room for. Since I think I don't think they were expecting the whole Dwayne Wade thing to happen, and so okay. they signed Dwayne Wade, and so they had to get rid of some folks. Gotcha. Which, yeah, it's it's all good. It's going to be an interesting season. It's going to take them a long time to gel together, but but I have no baseball. So yeah, this is. This is what we have now. We have LeBron, and we have no quarterback for the Browns. That's <laughs> well, you have a kid. You have a good kid. He's yeah. he's going to be. I think he's. I think he's got potential. I really do. You talking about Kaiser? I do. I am. Ooh, I. You know what? It was tough. It was tough watching the game last week in person. I know we talked about it a little bit, but you know when you're the 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 two turnovers inside the ten yard line, it's killer. Oh, oh yeah. Young. No, I mean the new kid. I mean that that's oh, what you're I'm talking, talking about, about Hogan. the new kid. Yeah, Hogan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. Hogan who's starting today. So we'll see. Yeah. As this as this podcast goes live, hopefully we're going to be talking about wow, the, the they we who knew that Kevin Hogan was going right. to be the next Drew Brees. Exactly. There you go. That that's will be the headline. Happened. Yeah, exactly. So, Kevin anyways, Hogan lights it up. Before we get uh Yeah, before many, we get started. Too many too many horrible uh tweets from people that hate sports. <laughs> About it. Why don't we start into? Oh, cool. couple Ain't announcements. Ed. Yep. Guy in. Hey, Ned, how you doing? So he he's he always fast forward the first five minutes, anyways, because yeah. he doesn't want to listen to us talk. All yeah. right, couple things. Uh, we've got the content marketing world videos again. That's going to end soon. You won't get an opportunity to download them at all if you if you went to content marketing world and don't have the videos yet. Uh, you can get them here, or if you did not go and you wanted to go and you want to see all. 
80 plus sessions in full Technicolor glory. You can go to cmi.media slash video 17, cmi.media slash video 17, and then use the coupon code PNR, all caps 100, PNR 100, to save $100. So that's off the CMW videos. And then, of course, we have our big roadshow coming up. Content Marketing Masterclasses, led by Robert Rose, with a guest appearance by me. Go to contentmarketingconf.com, contentmarketingconf.com. And just for those of you who have been asking, the cities are Boston, November 6th, New York, November 8th, uh, D.C., November 9th. Well, that's a heck of a week for us. Yeah. Uh, Seattle, November 28th, San Francisco, November 30th, Chicago, December 4th, Atlanta, December 6th, Austin, December 8th. That is going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Oh, we're going to have a ball. So we'd like to see you there. So that and be- I will tell you this. I mean, with, with no hubris here, I will tell you I've been working this last week on the top final touches of the master class. And I, 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 and I, again, I say this with no hubris because obviously the audience will tell, um, but I think it's the best one ever. I, I, I truly do. I think I'm really excited about this idea of focusing on audiences and building strategy and it's going to, I, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think that, well, obviously you've been tweaking it every year, but I, I yeah. think this pivot switch that we've made, even though we get. Uh, we said we talked about last week some backlash about our focus and love of audience building so much. I think that's the right direction. I do I mean, too. I, I think that if you are if you're with a small company or a large enterprise, this this is how you are going to show return ongoing for for marketing, for marketing in general, not just content marketing. So yep. Absolutely. So if you want Absolutely. to, yeah. So and I and and you do a great job with that. So if anybody and and I sort of host it a little bit. I do a little presentation, but Robert, you run the whole show, and uh, and it's definitely worth every penny. So if you get a chance to go, we'd love to see you there. We would absolutely. Oh, and speaking of loving to see somebody here, I'd love to see this. This is our continuing sponsor for the show. Oh, that's right. I had to. I almost forgot. Let's see. I'm just getting. I'm just so yeah. used to just going right into. The news portion we have. So this is a great little program that our friends at Ahrefs are uh, running with. If you're not familiar how to spell that, it's A-H-R-E-F-S, the powerful SEO tool set, many amazing tools for content marketers. If you're looking to grow your traffic from Google, what they're doing is is that we're having a, a, a tweet extravaganza, if you will. Any listener that tweets using the This Old Marketing hashtag now through October 28th, will be entered into a drawing to win an annual Ahrefs account plus a signed copy of our new book, Killing Marketing. And we're selecting one random participant each week. So make sure that you tweet to your heart's content this old marketing and just a little bit about Ahrefs. I mean, if you want, really want to find out what your customers are searching for in Google around popular search queries, uh, how you can discover what's getting the most shares, earning the most backlinks, uh, researching your competitors and what they're doing on Google. Ahrefs is a great supporter of ours and we want to throw out some love for them. So do the this old marketing hashtag uh, fun this week and uh, we'll see if we can get you uh, an account for Ahrefs and a, and a, a book called yeah. Killing Marketing. Which is Absolutely. doing quite well, and actually. I, it is doing well. I'm I'm super pleased about that. And by the way, you don't have to make it on the nose, right? You don't have to say, "Hey, I want a book." Hashtag this old. Market. Oh yeah. Or, just, hey, I want a free account. Hashtag this old. Market. You can do something fun. You can do something silly. Just, yeah, do, do something like, "Hey, Rob, 
what's with the name? <laughs> Question well, mark. This old marketing that. hashtag. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or you could or you could hashtag up Joe as the grand poobah of content marketing. Poobah spelled P O O B A H by the way, Poobah. Is that the real name? Is that it the is. real spelling of it? There yes. is. Oh. Yes, the Poobah, the grand Poobah. poobah. That feels so um Fred Flintstone-ish. I know. Well, it's the that's the um there the, uh, yeah, it's a whole uh, the whole whatever the Shriners and and those kinds yeah. of uh, those clubs that, you know, that had the grand Poobah. poobah. I've always wanted to be an orange Poobah. Thank you uh, for poobah. that. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, okay. you're welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get on with our show and move on to our quick hit segment where we talk about some of the larger news, bigger, broader, wider, wonderful news that we think you should be paying attention to. Um, and uh, we'll open up our show uh, with something that does have something to do with content marketing, of course, but um, is a little broader in its scope and it's uh, courtesy of TechCrunch. Um, and it is our friends at BuzzSumo. Um, they have been acquired. Dun, dun, dun. Social media monitor Brandwatch acquires content marketing platform BuzzSumo. Um, of course, as I mentioned, this article coming courtesy of TechCrunch and opens up by saying Brandwatch a social media monitoring company has acquired BuzzSumo, a content marketing and influencer identification platform for an undisclosed sum. BuzzSumo never raised beyond seed stage and was in effect bootstrapped by its founders. The acquisition adds an important arrow in Brandwatch's quiver, which raised $33 million C-round war chest in 2015 for just such a move. Expect more from this company, which seems intent on creating a suite of powerful tools for online marketers. What say you, Mr. Polizzi, to this acquisition? Well, first of all, congratulations to Steve Rayson, a good friend of the show, friend of, uh, <clears throat> yes. of ours at CMI. Um, this and we reached I'm, out. Um, yeah, we did reach out to him, and, and, and we got a little bit of a quote here, but yeah. Oh, you, are you going to read the quote? Well, uh, y- yes. I mean... I, you know, <laughs> here's the quote. The quote is... Woohoo! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Said with the you know, said with the polish of a PR person's script. Yes, it yeah. was. It was uh, Steve. God bless you. But uh, this was you know, we've got a strong focus on social intelligence, whereas our focus is on content intelligence. We have, and it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. How do you really feel, Steve? And I think underneath all of the corporate PREs here is woohoo. So congratulations to well, Steve and, and the gang there. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And I think the takeaway for the listeners here is, and you and I talked to a number of our exhibitors at Content Marketing World, and I'm, I, I want to say, I think that it's a little slower than I thought it was going to be, but it's is really going to start to ramp up as we get into the end of the year and the beginning of next year. Because oh, sure. There wasn't, yeah. there, there wasn't a content marketing company that we talked to um, that wasn't looking at either acquiring or being yep. acquired. Yep. And so we're going to continue to see the consolidation as every one of the big companies are – not that Brandwatch is a super large company, but um, they're trying to grow under the – this uh, the you know showing return and the monitoring and BuzzSumo is great for them, but I think that this just is another uh, quiver, if you will, um, into something that's going to continue to happen and happen. And we, whether or not you use this technology or not, or whether you are in the technology area yourself, um, this is going to get nasty here in yeah. a good way, probably. Yeah. For most yeah. Well, people. it's funny because I've had. You know, and this is anecdotal, but but I have had it over the last two weeks. I've had at least three conversations with financial 
companies. So read into that venture companies as well as private equity firms and others who have called me to say, you know, ask questions about the marketplace, what's going on in it, what's where, you know, where, who are the leaders in XYZ space, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I've had uh, at least two or three conversations with large brands who are looking to acquire technologies who are themselves going, you know, they, they would say things to me like, wow, we really want to, you know, we really want to buy a technology here and, and get it implemented, but we're really worried that it's going to get, you know, um, acquired by somebody. And I said, yeah, you, I mean, it's, it will, yeah, <laughs> it's going point. to, right. You're right. So, you know, you just need to buy safely and, and the conversations I've had is who I think, you know, might be the likely acquirers of some of these technologies because, what we're seeing is is that the larger, you know, more enterprise level suite types of of applications here are looking to get broader and a deeper footprint into the marketing department and certainly the content side of that and looking at some of these point solutions that have stellar, quite frankly, brands on their chiclet slide um, and but quite frankly are only in in that one small little tiny piece. And so when you start comparing client lists, you can just see that there's a natural, you know, that there's a natural um, affinity there to, to bring these companies together. So I, I think you're right. I think in the coming fourth quarter, certainly as we get closer to the end of the year, you're going to see some of that cash get used. Um, and I think in 2018 is when you're going to start to see a real, uh, a real frothy market, as it were. Is it, it, it's, is it surprising to you that seventeen have has not had more acquisitions? It, it 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 is not surprising to me, only in the sense of and and again, not I don't I don't mean this in a political way, but given the uncertainty of the current situation in the U.S. Um, and just from you know, I think it's been a little. <clears throat> You know, all 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 signs point to good things in terms of the economy and and where you know where generally the economy is headed. But I think it's been an uncertain year, and I think you've seen some hesitancy all, but quite frankly, all across the market, right? It, from from the acquis, you know, from travel to yeah, uh, acquisitions true. of companies to expenditures and marketing to you know, I think you've seen a real just sort of not necessarily a reluctance, but a hesitancy to say, okay, th- we're going to do this. But, you know, and so I think now that things seem to be getting into a bit of a pattern, um, I think we're going to see some of that. Now, all of that is up in the air if things go weirdly sideways, you know, in the, in the, in the coming months. But, but I think if it stays the same, I think we're going to get, you know, into a pattern here where you're going to start to see companies go we just got to move we have to act you know and there's too there's there is too many companies out there right now the martech space is just there are way too many companies too many companies and too much cash on the sidelines yep exactly so there's something's bound to fall yep there you go yep yep that is exactly right Okay. Anyway, moving on. So congratulations to the BuzzSumo yep. folks. Great, you know, great, great, um, interesting solution there. And we'll see if Brandwatch can actually um, transform um, itself in the process. Uh, moving on to our second story here in our quick hits. We'll, uh, a comp- uh, it's a story brought to you by Recode.net. Um, and this is, this is fascinating, actually. Snapchat, it's been a while since we've talked about our friends at Snap. Snapchat will now show you more info about the cool places your friends are visiting. 
Lots of people share their location with Snapchat, says the article opening, when they take pictures or videos. Now Snapchat wants to share more information about that location, like how far away it is, what kind of food is served there, with other users on the app. To do this, Snap has partnered with a number of companies, including Foursquare and TripAdvisor, to surface information about the places where users create snaps. If users share their location along with a snap, either by submitting it to a public Our Story or by adding it to a special venue filter, Snapchat will let others swipe up to see more information about that location that could include maps, menus, hours of operation, customer reviews, and ratings. I just thought I have to tell you, Joe. This 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 is the coolest feature that I've heard. I mean, I, this this story isn't getting a lot of you know buzz out there, um, at least by my estimation. But but I think this is maybe the coolest, in, most interesting feature that I've seen Snap come out with. I mean, even I think this is way cooler and more interesting than the little glasses thing and all that kind of stuff. What what did you think? Well, what I like about it is the fact that there are. Instead of figuring out how they're going to expand their audience and get more people, they're going deep within the audience that they have. So it's because obviously it's all about the, and what I've noticed with the you know whether it's my son or his friends using Snapchat, these are this is how they communicate with their core friends. It's not like on Facebook where you might have acquaintances that you communicate with and you share stuff. This is like you really communicating with a core group of people. And now if you think about, okay, where is Joe on on Snapchat and I'm communicating with my friends, it's like, oh, okay, well, where where is he? And do I want to go there? And let me get more information. So now you've got this um, you've got more information about how that's going to happen. So the deeper engagement is the one part of it. And the second part of it is you've opened up a new stream of revenue, which yes. Snap desperately needs to do outside of advertising. Now, the article, the Record article talks about, oh, they can offer more advertising, but I think there's probably a better opportunity for affiliate sales if they are driving revenue or traffic or other programs that they're going to have that maybe aren't advertising Why not based. both? I don't know. I you think could both. Do, absolutely, could do both. But I think you know, that the I'm, reliance on advertising for Snapchat, as well as it is for Facebook and Google, those are things that they're trying to get past and other ways to drive revenue. So if you can do more than one, then good for you. So no, I, I like it. What an incredible native play here, right? I mean, how how interesting is the native content piece here? I just think it's fascinating. I mean, if you could figure out a way to offer up to the businesses you've turned you've turned physical businesses into publishing platforms right and so both from a competitive and or to the business itself or to adjacent businesses you know for example if i'm in the you know uh, barbecue sauce right i sell barbecue sauce i'm going to buy every barbecue restaurant around and when you swipe up i'm going to tell you the coolest recipes that you could make with my barbecue sauce and just, I mean, that's just off the top of my head. I mean, that may be a bad example, but the point being, you can now, you could buy interesting, like as you would buy a publication, you could buy interesting physical locations and have, when you swipe up, interesting articles and content that actually deliver value relevant to where you are or what you're looking at right now. Because think about it, you're not there, you're actually seeing someone who's there. So you've got the FOMO that I see my friend who's going to this really cool barbecue joint in Nashville or Texas or something like that. Oh man, that's really cool. I wish I, and I swipe up. 
the the reviews are kind of uh, okay. That's not that interesting, quite frankly. Because as a as an audience member, I'm going. Well, I don't care what the reviews are of that place are because I'm not there. I don't. I'm not going there. But the interesting thing is, is that what what is it that I'm? I've got the little FOMO about not being there in this really cool, interesting place that he's in. Now I want something relevant, and why not have it be a recipe for how I could make cool barbecue or something like that? I I think there's a really interesting monetization thing and content play here that that isn't being talked about that quite frankly doesn't need the um that doesn't need the 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 you know the trip advisor or the um other partnerships. Yeah, I could see that. Like hey, uh <clears throat> the new the new uh no zero coke is sold at this place and come and get it, but if you can't get it <laughs> Here's some other stuff about that, I guess, right? That's right, what you're talking right. about. Yeah, it's just basically, you know, the, the, what what struck me so much as a cool idea about this whole thing wasn't the sort of if I swipe up, I get to see the reviews or the ratings or the menu at that. Maybe the menu, the menu is kind of an interesting thing, but but the you know, if I swipe up, I, I want to see what's relevant to me, not what's relevant to the person who's at, who's took taking the picture, right? Because I'm home, I'm at home, or I'm at work, or I'm on an airplane, or I'm at a you know I'm waiting for a train, and I'm thumbing through you know all these wonderful pictures, and it's like oh that's so cool they're at the dog park, you know. But, and if I swipe up, what do I want to see? What's relevant to me? And what's relevant to me as an audience member at that time is not information about that dog park. Maybe it is because maybe someday I want to go there, or maybe someday I think it's interesting. But more relevant is I'm not there. So what would be what would feed my need right there um, about talking to me about what's relevant in that photo? And to me, it seems some sort of something contextual that adds value to my life as an audience member in that moment. And I think it would be. I just think it's a really cool opportunity. Yeah, the article doesn't say anything about that. That is a Robert Rose original idea. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe I mean, that's and, Rob's. I don't know. Yeah, it depends oh on if it's good or oh, good or right bad. Then. I don't know. I didn't. Okay. I didn't even think about that. I just was yeah. thinking about the fact, just from a business model standpoint, I'm glad that they're um, they're they're adding on things that their current audience would be interested in and lead to deeper relationships with the people in their network. That I like. Yeah. Instead of focusing on we need bigger, more, which I think is uh, the way to failure for them. So yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, I, and I love that too. Um, and this is an and, and, and if I will make the prediction now that Instagram slash Facebook launches something very similar to this very very soon before the end of the year, I, I would suspect. Well, I think it, if you take any precedence in the in what's happened in the past, it's going to happen next week. Yeah, exactly. Because that's <laughs> that's what they. That's what Zuckerberg seems to do. They're kind of yeah. watching what Snap does. So that's exactly right. Since All right, they can't buy them. Yes, that's true. That is absolutely true. All right, our last uh, story in our quick hits here comes to us courtesy of Pew Research. Pew 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 pew. Um, <laughs> so the headline here is key. Tra- I, every time I see Pew Research, I always think of the pew 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 pew. Anyway, key trends in social and digital news media. Articles opens up by saying digital news and social media continue to grow, with mobile devices rapidly becoming one of the most common ways for Americans to get news. Says Pew Research. Research stating the absolutely obvious. Um, as journalists and media practitioners gather for the annual Online News Association Conference, 
Here are 10 key findings from recent Pew Research Center reports about today's digital news media landscape. And they then go on to outline some of the insights from their fairly robust uh, research. Do any of these stand out to you? You know, so basically, it looks like, according to these charts, in the next two to three years, maybe less than that, then more people will be getting their news from online sources than television or any other yeah. in any other place. And it, and even goes through it. They've got 10 points here and they talk about how older Americans are, are driving really, the growth. Are that driving was, I thought, this, insightful. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's, it's funny. Cause I'll tell you a little side story. So uh, my wife and I are volunteering uh, for Playhouse Square, which is uh, all the Broadway type shows that come to Cleveland area. And we, we've volunteered at two different shows so far where we're, we put on our red coats and we seat people and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's right. super fun and we're having a good time doing it. But we are definitely the among the youngest of the people there. Most of the most of the people there, I would say, are between uh, sixty and seventy five years old. Are the are so sort of the ones that help. And so we do the we do the opening talk. So here's the okay. Here's the show. Here's what you need to do. And everybody gets their assignments. A little pep talk. And then you have a break of about a half hour before people start to come. And what's amazing to me is the is almost to a T, they're all on their phones. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, when did this happen? Yeah, right. This is exactly. unbelievable. Like it almost looked like you a bunch of teenagers. They're yeah. all on their phones. They're all on Facebook. They're all on you know, watch looking at the news. Or I didn't see anybody on Snapchat, but we'll just leave that for some other time. But I just thought that that was interesting. Now. So that's happening. We can see it happening. Pew tells us it's happening. The concern is, and they, they talk about this at the end of this article, there's still this fake news issue. And if you're getting, let's say you're getting your content from your friends on Facebook, which a lot of people are, and they're sharing some of this news that's not fake and you don't have like an in-between where generally, depending on what news that you look at, but if you're watching the news, there's there's a group of editors that have been looking at this news and they and they put it together and they say, okay, this is the news that makes sense for our viewers. Well, you don't get that online. You're getting right. all kinds of stuff that happens to you. So, and of course, there was all talk during the elections last year where you're sort of just looking at the news you want to see, right? Because did you see? Did you see? I don't mean to interrupt you, no. there, but did, did you see? Um, it's I, we'll we'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes. The Larry Kim, um, his his article about how he he did an experiment where he created a fake news. Oh, channel I didn't. And, I and, saw the headline. I didn't. I didn't read it though. What was it? It about? was a fascinating article where he basically you know broke down and in an in anatomy 101 how you create a fake news channel and a fake news story boost it with a facebook um boosted post and he got hundreds of likes started building his fake news oh likes basically got it he started spreading fake news with the, he said basically four clicks and about you know uh, $50 worth of uh, media budget. And it was, and he ended up paying like 29 cents per, per like or per share or something like that. It was crazy simple how, how easy it was to do it. Oh, that's scary. So that's, yeah. so that's the issue. I mean, so this is it. We know what's happening, but we're, we have an issue right now with people just not getting the correct information. Uh, and there's no in between, which is good and bad. I mean, we talk about it, right? There's, there's, there's no, uh, middle person, middle organization that stops us from getting the information directly from the source. That can be really, really good, as in a la content marketing, or it can be really, really bad, a la fake news. 
So the level of crazy has gone to such new heights. It's it's absolutely mind boggling. I had somebody in my Facebook feed who is no longer there, um, who was and I, and I kid you not, I'm completely serious here was propagating the story that all of the Northern California fires that are going on right now were actually engineered by the government to burn down the pot farms and to cover up a pedophile ring that were going up in Northern California. I mean, that's the level of crazy we're dealing with these days. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. Well, the sad thing is, is that you don't need... It to, well, you just talked about Larry Kim's article. You don't need yeah. that much to spread that. Yeah, it's... It's absolutely crazy. So I don't know. All right, did so you did you take anything from this? I did. Yeah, my my biggest takeaway was um, some of the so when I, the, on the social media side, the the crossing over of uh, educated versus the some college or less um, in terms of the 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 way that the direction was going, where basically college plus educated uh, consumers were getting less of their news from social media and some college or less educated was getting more. And those lines are now diver- have crossed and are now diverging up and down accordingly. I thought that was fascinating, which speaks to, you know, the increased success we've seen with some of the content brands out there, sort of the more classic um, oriented content brands that we saw um, that we, that we've in the news brands that we've seen, but it also speaks to the popularity of, of what's going on with uh, with what we just uh, with what we just talked about. I think the last one that I would uh, point out was the, the interesting um, was the la- uh, it was nine it was their ninth point, which was online news that comes via email um, is the type of news that gets the most follow up action. In other words, that that weird email that you get from your uncle or aunt or sister or brother or friend or whatever that links to a thing, that's the one that's going to get the most uh, follow-up action. So uh, one, speaking to a couple of things, one is sort of the, you know, just the, the sort of power of when you get that email from your from your family or friend. Um, but the second is, is still the power of email, right? Which, which is what struck me there was, which is, and there's another story that, that we didn't choose to cover this week, which talked about um, uh, the power, you know, the, again, the power of email and how email is truly the, you know, the, the source record here in terms. And so email by every stretch of the imagination is not dead from a news um, perspective. You know, we often think of new as email as simply the communication, but it is in many ways, a lot of the way that, People get their news. You, you know, know what's what's will, interesting about yeah. that though? If if that's true, which I don't doubt the research, <clears throat> then if we are publishing online, we should move our calls to action, the the email to a friend or email to a group of people you know oh, well, up yeah, in the absolutely. calls to action. I mean, but really, yeah. on most on most websites you go to, I mean, even if you look at the TechCrunch article, we, I mean, they've got Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Google Plus and Reddit and stumble upon, and then they've got email. Right. So I don't know. Maybe you move that up to the front. If the if yeah. this is correct, then you the would forward want. to a friend thing is is a very powerful thing that is that is not often used. It's absolutely true. So there you go. Good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, those are uh, those are our quick hits this week. Um, now moving into our in depth, where we look and take a little bit of a deeper look in terms of what's going on in the world of content marketing specifically, um, and uncover there. And our first story is a happy story, wonderful, interesting story. Um, one that uh, there's this new book about, in fact, um, and this comes courtesy 
of W and V. I'm not going to try and do the German. This is a German magazine, so you, if you click through to this, you're going to need um, you're going to need Chrome so that you can do the translation if you don't speak German. Um, big hat tip here, by the way, to Florian Heinrichs, um, who's at FM Heinrichs on the Twitter. Thank you, Florian, for this wonderful story. The headline here is Content Marketing, Mercedes is marketing um, and making money from it through IQ Media's looping content. Um, and the article now, the Google Translate, and I don't speak German, so please forgive me here because the Google Translate's um, translation is not necessarily wonderful. Um, but basically, the article opens up by saying, with the Looping Studios relationship, Mercedes-Benz has set up an external editorial network in the area of marketing and corporate communications for the X-Star chief, Dominic Weichmann. Uh, the team is intending to align all editorial content of the brand, specifically the content marketing services, more specifically with the wishes of its customers. Now, the magazines are professionally marketed, and on Friday, Looping Studios, this agency, um, announced the strategic partnership. And the article goes on to explain how this strategic partnership is basically an agency that's going to be taking on really the role of custom publisher here to publish a number of their magazines, uh, including She's Mercedes, Circle of Excellence, uh, and Mercedes-Benz Classic, as well as some future products um, and uh, all of that. And so the interesting thing here is, is that further in the article that talks about how the company is going to start monetizing those magazines by selling, in some cases, subscriptions, and in some cases, advertising. And that's, in many ways, the way that this looping studio will be compensated. And so this is not a new business model, Joe. I mean, this is basically the yep. business model that you grew up with and helped invent. But uh, in, in, in many ways, this is, um, this is sort of the furthering and expansion of the killing marketing idea. What did you think? Well, I think the, the one thing that, that differentiates this from you know, what I was doing 20 years ago is it generally was for just one publication. You'd get one right. magazine. Yeah. Let's stick an go. airline magazine, and you're like, "Great, we will monetize our airline magazine through advertising." And then that morphed into, "Oh, now we can sell other sponsorships." And sometimes the custom publisher got into selling other sponsorships that were available on. Uh, then, as Directv came along and things like that. What's different about this one is there. This is a strategic initiative where they're saying because they've got Mercedes Benz magazine, she's Mercedes Circle of Excellence, Mercedes Benz Classic. I mean, they've got all these products and these content brands and they're saying well we're going to put them all together in a group and we're going to start to sell these probably an integrated marketing buy if you will across the platform so i like that and then also it doesn't talk to this but i'm assuming that because looping studios which is this external custom uh custom publishing group for mercedes-benz and then the iq media which is the other part of the strategic partnership where they're probably going to have sales form and right, as well exactly. as they don't talk about it but i know there's promotion and distribution involved in this it's because they're gonna obviously there's there's ways that they can grow distribution of these content brands through this initiative as well and so they're just they're you're just saying hey instead of one-off projects this is a thing and we can make money off of this thing as well as communicate more effectively with our customers and we're going to do it Yes. So. And I and and here's where I think and I hope I I really do hope that there's some thought being given, but I'm going to bet that there isn't. Um which is what to do with the audience. Yeah. Um because the the amount and awesomeness of the data that's going to be gleaned 
out of, you know, whether this is a print publication or whether this is an online publication or a series of both or either. Um, the really interesting and powerful part of this is not going to be in simply selling more print ads or online digital ads to people who can help monetize the magazine and sort of help fund basically a branding campaign for Mercedes. The interesting thing is much more about the audience and what's going the value that that will create across these series of publications and starting to use this audience to inform Mercedes about the you know all of the wonderful things that it could use that for and so i i'm hopeful that we're going to be talking about this story a year from now um and we're going to be talking about how they utilize this audience to help inform where they should be you know the, the new model of car or where they use this audience to say hey they could actually monetize books out of this or new products or accessories or create a new television network or you know basically how they could start to monetize this and expand it as a as an integrated part of what they do and utilizing this amazing audience and access to this audience as the key driver of that value and so hopefully this is not yep. just another you know, airline magazine, you know, and basically a, a, a series of deals with that airline, ma you know, the airline magazine kind of business model. Hopefully they're taking this to the next level, um, which we'll see. I think that I think it has yet to be. I mean, it's not in the article. It's not clear from the article whether which way they're going with it. But as uh, as Florian said in his tweet, I thought it was a great when he when he tweeted it out at us. He said, and so it begins dot dot dot. Right. And so and I think that's that's exactly the right thing. Here it is in Germany, a very conservative sort of approach that, uh, you know, a, a, a country that has taken a very conservative approach to content marketing um, throughout the last few years. And 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 yes, indeed. So it begins dot dot dot. Although right? I would that's say right sentiment. Well, traditionally, if you look at traditional custom publishing, the UK and the German markets have always been way above, way ahead. That's a fair point. Of the US yeah, markets. that's a, that's it's, absolutely it's a fair point. It's the move to digital. It's the move to digital that's been behind what, what we've seen in the United States. The one thing that's a to fair your point. point, absolutely a fair point. But to your point, what needs to be asked is as well, and this is to your point on audiences. What if somebody is subscribed to this Mercedes Benz initiative and this one? What makes that person different? What's right. the behavior change in exactly. that one? That's why this is so powerful here because it's not just one thing. And this is what we find when you get brands that then decide, oh, okay, we're going to diversify and do other things. We're going to do the podcast. We're going to do the video. We're going to do the email. They they treat them as separate things. Right. And they don't look at what is, what's the difference between somebody who's just subscribed to the magazine but also subscribed to the magazine and the podcast and the email. How much yep. How much more powerful is that person for the brand do they buy so much more is it a higher yielding customer so to your point they have to i don't know if they're asking the questions but that's what they have to ask is what the difference yes. is between in the behavior of their audience if they distribute you know more opportunities for engagement throughout whatever yep. those opportunities are yeah absolutely so. absolutely I, there's there's yeah there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot we, we don't like have it the time. a lot yeah, <laughs> it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, okay, so our last story here um, that we'll cover for the show is a wonderful one from this little startup that could called the Content Marketing Institute. Um, you've heard of them, I think, haven't you not? Uh, yeah, uh, I think once or twice. 
Okay. And this is a really cool little article that we thought we'd finish our deep dive with. Um, it's the, the simple article format that draws a bigger audience. Um, the author of this, just to give him a shout out, is James Scherer. Did I pronounce that right? Did James, did I pronounce your name right? James Scherer, um, who wrote this. And I think it's just a really fun, interesting look at a particular type of article that seems to be drawing a lot of attention. The article opens up by saying, you know this article format. A glance through Content Marketing Institute's recently published posts, Growth Hackers Must Read Articles, or BuzzSumo's Most Shared Marketing Content from the past six months make it clear. There is one blog post framework type that seems to be winning. How, a company you know, is doing something to achieve positive result. Basically, there's your formula. Um, and all of that, he then goes down to break all that down into the actual formula and how it's created. And um, he's got some, he's got a pretty interesting case yep. here. What did you think about this? No, I love the case about, so basically what, uh, what James, great article. And what James ends up doing is talks about how when you link your content with a brand, with a well-known brand, it helps in the credibility of that brand and, and the the viewability and the shareability and everything goes off the charts because of the because you're adding some brand like Coca-Cola or Patagonia or whatever you're talking about. So That's right. In it, so basically what you're doing is if you do this correctly, you are going to give your content more of a chance to be seen and shared because you're sort of riding the coattails of somebody else's credibility makes it more a piece of trust and content. And it's you know, it's interesting because our editorial team, CMI editorial team, who are fantastic, they've been doing this for a long, long time. This is not a new model by any means. And as you and I talked about before, if you were going to launch a blog or you wanted to take your articles to the next uh, step, you could you could literally just use this formula. It's not a formula. You're de- you don't have to say, oh, no, I have to do something different as long as the content is different. Where you're saying, oh, this is the company that this is the big brand we're talking about. Here's the incredible thing that they're doing, and here's the results that they're getting. You can that's been done for years. Right. I mean, this is not a new thing, but just coming up with it and the rationale, and that's what James goes through. And he goes through steps, by the way. It's a very helpful how to post where if you're interested in doing this, he'll tell you exactly how to do it. Yeah. It's it's just a it's a it's fun. I mean, you know. I, you know, and, and by the way, folks, we're, what we're not saying here is that you should go copy, paste, you know, and make this a template for your marketing strategy. What we're saying is use this as one data point for a kind of article that's set to, that tends to resonate more. You know, this, you know, we often rail on the idea, you know, there are, there's a company that will go unnamed that often sends things like the best times to tweet is Tuesday at 11 a.m., right? You know, and of course, the best time to tweet is Tuesday at 11 a.m. until you write the article and everybody starts tweeting at Tuesday at 11 a.m. And of course, that's, you know, so your mileage will definitely vary here. So start at best practices, don't end there, and all of the regular asterisks and carrot and caveats that we would throw in here. This is not about a cookie cutter model. This is about just looking at one article and saying, huh, that's interesting and fun uh, and an interesting way to look at it. So there you have it. Yeah, and the one that's, thing, and that's just, my cautionary sort of advice at the end of that. No, I mean it's it's good advice. And the one thing that I thought was interesting too, and sort of talks about this in the article, but if you're looking for a really good case study, and a lot of times you want other influencers in, in the industry to share that when you get done with the article, and a lot of you get a lot of this, Robert. I do as well. You reach out to the influencer and you ask them, you know, what are the two or three? You know, don't tell me what they are. What are the two or three companies that you think are doing it really well? 
and we'll say Aero Electronics or John Deere or whatever. Right. And right. then you go and do your research. And then when you're done with the article, then you come back to the influencer and say, hey, I went and did this and this is what I found. What do you think? And odds are that influencer is likely to share it. So just exactly. it's another it's another influencer strategy that works really well so if, you, many, if you move forward with this. So yeah. many emails I get that are literally one line. The head the, the subject line of the email is will you share dot 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 and then I just know what's going to happen when I open that email and I open the email and it says, "Hey, I just wrote this awesome article yeah. link that doesn't say anything about what the article is. I just wrote this awesome article and a link to the article. Thought you'd like it. And thought, thought you'd, you'd like it and you should share audience. with your community, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, so anyways, don't do that. <laughs> go out, yeah, go before, right. reach out before, and just ask a question. Who you think is doing it well in this area? And then go ahead and do your research with the article. That's right. So. Well, speaking of doing research and the most amazing thing, Heather, we have an, another continuing sponsor to talk about. Absolutely. Today's episode sponsor, our good friends at Snap App. And then we're talking about a great piece of content that they Snap have. Snap App. Today's buying communities are diverse. Millennials are already taking their seats among Generation X and baby boomers <laughs> at the buying table, making navigating the already complicated buying environment even harder thanks to their different preferences. Though this shift might seem minor, it greatly impacts how marketing teams operate, sales teams engage, and how purchase decisions are ultimately made. SnapApp and Heinz Marketing, two good friends of ours, recently conducted research to answer the question, how do different generations like to buy? Their report, I can't. Every time I get to this point, the millennials are here. How generational differences impact B2B buying committees today looks at differences between the rising millennial buyer, their generation X and baby boomer counterparts, and how B2B marketing and sales strategies can address the gaps between them. You can download this report. The millennials are here at cmi.media slash PNR205. That's cmi.media slash PNR205 to get this awesome piece of content and uh and you and i both know this robert you got a lot of our um our friends that we work with that are very concerned about how millennials are going to disrupt their organization and their buying process so if you're one of those people you need to download this and check it out it's not their fault (laughs) i'm just gonna say it's not the millennials fault no Um, definitely definitely not not their fault it's It's, not no nobody said this why did you say they get a lot of stuff hung hung on them um and i'm yeah anyway it's well, it's uh now you got this is an amazing this next? is a wonderful piece that, that that talks about how 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 truly we're stratifying the market and and it's a fascinating way to sort of take and optimize your approach to the the youth movement as it were but the, it's always been that way right i mean when it was gen x it was always like, oh, that, oh yeah, that yeah, pesky we were, Generation X. There's yeah, everything we were else. apathetic. We were apathetic, and we were mall rats, and then we were only concerned about ourselves, and we were selfish, and which it is was, completely true. Which it's all absolutely. It's absolutely all true. true. It's all none of that. It's false. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just. I'm still a little bitter about it. I got to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all God. right, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you to Snap App once again. Oh yes. For that wonderful sponsorship, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we have the title of 
ah, chief headbanger against the wall or something that makes us feel like we're the chief positive officer. Um, and let's see here. Um, I am going first because I have this old marketing. Yes, you do. Um, shock of all shocks. Yes. And so I am going to have a rave uh, this week. Um, and I'm going to keep mine relatively short because I know what your rant is coming up. And I definitely want to have a discussion about that. Mine comes from the link that we'll put to in the show notes is from eConsultancy, which um, is a really good source for stuff, um, generally speaking. But this week, and an article written by Ashley Friedlein, I think is the way you pronounce his last name, Friedlein, um, at eConsultancy. And he has, it's an, the, the title of the article is Introducing the Modern Marketing Model. And he calls it his M3 uh, model for, for the uh, aforementioned three M's there. And he opens up by saying, look, the increase in new channels and technologies has dramatically changed the environment in which marketers operate, but which, uh, but the way in which marketing is taught, understood, and operates has not really changed. You could have put that first paragraph in the front of our book. Um, and I, I, as soon as I read that, I went, oh, you have my attention. Um, and so he then goes on to sort of outline in a very, you know, nice, concise, wonderful way this new marketing model, which he breaks down into this modern marketing model, which goes into strategy, analysis, planning, and execution, and sort of segments all of those things in there. I will, I will note, and when he sent this article over to us, he did, he, the reason he was sending it over to us was because it was noted as the, how um, prominent a display customer experience and content took in terms of this new marketing model. And I have to just tell you, and, and I won't go into the details because you should just go read the article and, and get into it. It's really good. I mean, it's, re you know, it's, it's out there. It's, it's different. It's, you know, it's a little bit, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a different take on our four P's and what we were classically taught as marketers. Um, but it's not so different that it will be completely unrecognizable to you. It's organized. It's very clear. I'm just going to, I'm just raving about it because I just think it's fascinating um, and the, maybe the most fascinating and relevant to this show is where he says they've removed product as one of the four P's and replaced it with customer experience and content. And, oh, wow. and, and yeah. he notes that it says this is going to be controversial as we talk about, but that's really the, the idea of, you know, certainly our book and writ large, the, the last two books, right? So experiences plus killing marketing really sort of are encapsulated in that one paragraph that he talks through there. So, you know, I, I'm biased, obviously, because of the way that, you know, I, the, the way my, my lens through marketing, but I just think that Ashley really got this right. And I just think it's a really interesting and wonderful, uh, wonderful piece. So I had to rave about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Worth reading. Worth reading. Yep. All right. <clears throat> so I have, um, a, a rant and a rave, uh, all in one article. So I have to give a little bit better backstory with this. So, uh, John Miller, who's at Scribe Miller on Twitter, uh, yeah. tweeted at me, but I totally missed it because he spelled my name wrong. And so I have to give a shout out to our uh, VP of Marketing, Kathy McPhillips, for making sure that I saw this because I totally missed it. But John tweets me a couple weeks ago and says, uh, at the ringer discovers content marketing, but doesn't call it that, maybe making Joe Polizzi a bit miffed. And links, uh, and links to the article here, and I wanted to go through it. So the article is from The Ringer, and it's entitled, Can Tech Startups Do Journalism? So 
I have a couple takes on this, and then I sent this to you, Robert, because I wanted to get your take as well, because we've had some discussions around a, a few of these areas. But the one thing is, they almost talk about this uh, thing called content marketing, which they never call content marketing, as something completely new, and it's a Silicon Valley thing, and oh my God, startups are doing journalism. And you and I, and, and CMI and lots of other smart people have been covering this for a long time, but they never call it like what it is. And I've read the whole article and I was trying to read and like, are they naming it something? Is this new journalism? What are we talking about? They never really name it. And I always, and you know, I've always uh, been very adamant about calling it something because that's how we bring a community together. And that's how we can have uh, educated conversations because we know what the heck we're talking about. So I just thought it was weird that they go through this whole article. It didn't say oh, what it is, or even if they called it branded content or something else. They said it sort of lives between traditional journalism and sponsored content, but they didn't never said what it is. It's content marketing, anyways. So that was the first take on it, and the second take is, I really enjoyed this article. I think that anyone interested in content marketing or marketing in general should read this article. It's got some interesting. It's a very long article. Uh, but it's worth reading. But the one I wanted to get your take on specifically is there's this back and forth talk between those brands like Casper, uh, Casper's Van Winkles, which we've talked about on the show, that very much has a separation between the content brand and the brand itself. And they basically barely mention it, like you and I've talked about uh, J&J and Baby Center. It's like yeah. you really have to work to find that Baby Center's a J&J product. You have to work right. to find whether Van Winkles is a Casper product. The same thing with uh, Mel, uh, M-E-L by uh, Dollar Shave Club. It's very hard to find that there's a linking there. And they, they say that they do it purposely, especially if you go into some of the quotes from the people that work at Van Winkles. They'll talk about how, well, it's very, very important for us to have um, church and state. And, and like, and it has to be different because we want this to be a standalone editorial product. Now, the one thing then is what I wanted to get your take on. By the way, there's tons of things we could talk about with this article, but this was the one that I think was the most interesting. The uh, Casper CEO, Philip Krim, says, you know, we have a long-term vision for Casper to become the dedicated brand for all things sleep. And part of owning that category is owning the best content related to it. And I love this quote. And I'm like... This is fantastic, but yet yeah, right. you don't know it's Casper. So, I mean, so I'll go on here. And, and so this is from the editorial, the editor at Van Winkles. I think we're kind of past the point where anybody would look at it and be like, oh, well, that's that story's fantastic, but I hate it because it's being sponsored by a brand. That's kind of irrational given that most media is ad supported. This is just a more direct way of creating ad supported media. Um. But again, the problem is is that how do people know because you're not you're not saying that it's you doing it. And I guess the the big uh, you and I have had some some agreements on uh, disagreements on this. Van Winkles from Casper Mattresses and Mel from Dollar Shave Club go so far out of their way to be editorial independent that it's seemingly impossible to measure the impact on the brand or the new products that you, that you want to deliver. Because you're you're making this purposeful separation, and I think ultimately, what's the use in building trust if you don't know where it's coming from? They don't know to trust Casper because they don't know Casper does Van Winkles, and then it's hard to make that 
separation integration with the two. And I would think it's better if you come right out and you be completely transparent and say, yes, Van Winkles is from Casper. We, we, we absolutely, we, we're totally out. We sell mattresses. This is what we do. And we think it's so important, the sleep thing, that we're going to create all this awesome content and send it to you. And then there's some other stories in here. Uh, and I think the other one, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Robert, it's um, here from away, here the magazine from luggage company away. And they come out right and say, hey, we're, this is us. You know, we're going to cover things about luggage and we're, we sell luggage. So great. Now, so I think that I'll end with this. I think the key to this whole thing is disclosure. Just be completely transparent. I think that distancing yourself from the content makes it that much harder to show return for the initiative itself. So come right out and tell people. If you don't come right out and tell people, it almost seems like you're trying to hide it, even though that's not your goal. Your goal is to be truly independent, but I think it could hurt your trust. So that's my take. Yeah, we still disagree on this. Um, I know. I know. I I totally. And let me tell you why. This is the one thing we disagree on. I yeah. think we agree on almost everything else. Here, well, here's here's here's. So I'll I'll say this. It depends. What the reason I think, and by the way, the article goes on to talk about how they're. I don't know whether and they've they've reduced the you know they've reduced the 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 magazine, they've reduced the quality content over they're producing. Yeah. Yes, what they say. and but and this the 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 one that she interviewed Spears that the the person that they've interviewed basically is not working there anymore, um and and has the quote I think they got what they wanted out of it I, I think what I got out of this article about that particular case study was the Casper goals were mushy, um and so what I would say to you in response to you is I would say if your goal if your business goal is to create trust with consumers in your brand, then yes, absolutely you need to maybe make the brand part of it. That is that is CMO.com that is brought to you very clearly by Adobe. That is Kraft Food and Family Magazine brought to you clearly by Kraft. That, you know, when you move, you know, and we talk about this in the workshop, right? When you move further into that brand subscriber win category where I'm trying to develop trust in my brand, then of course the brand needs to be front and center. And you need to do that full disclosure because if you don't, that's when you look like you're hiding it and you're not getting the value. That's the thing I think they messed up on. To me, where they've messed up is somebody at Casper said, the goal of this magazine is to increase trust with the Casper brand. And then when they create a a completely unbranded experience that creates trust in an audience for that content brand, well, then, of course, those two things don't mesh. So there's no clarity. There's no communication in the strategy. And thus, it it feels weird. It feels odd. And I totally get where you're coming from from that. If, however, if you look at the goals of a J&J baby center, it's much different. J&J doesn't isn't the goal isn't to get more trust in the J&J brand. The goal is to leverage the audience to make J&J a smarter organization, to use the audience to derive value to say, hey, listen, this is our four and a half million strong focus group that we can do things like test ad headlines and do um, and take polls and surveys and get data so that we understand our personas better. In that case, it's everything about developing trust in a content brand that has everything not to do with the J&J brand at all. The business goals, the strategic goals are different. And so clarity in the business goals is what tells you how branded it should be. I think this is a perfect case study for that, 
which basically tells me Casper doesn't understand or didn't understand the strategic goals they were trying to create, and thus it creates a tension between whether we should be full di- have full disclosure of our brand or not. But I totally agree with you. If your goal is to create trust in the brand, then of course it should be the brand should be front and center. This is Indium, right? The Indium case study that we always use, with where it is from one in, uh, engineer to another. But the whole point is that it's Indium engineers giving you the trusted advice. This Marcus Sheridan with his pools and a- answer every question. Of course, it's about building trust. And so, of course, it's his pool company that's giving you that trusted advice. That's the whole point. The further to the left you move into that more creating audience for the value of the audience and creating a content brand because you're trying to become an integrated part of your customer's life, like the CEO said, what the CEO said by saying, we want to be the owners of sleep, great. Now we need to develop integrated content brands that actually own that space. And Van Winkles is not, or Casper is not uh, the, 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 the brand to do that because we're selling mattresses. We want to create a content brand that helps own sleep. We, like Aero Electronics, we will subsidize a magazine and content brand to be able to do that. That's, that's my take on it. I'm sorry. Did you say something? <laughs> Look, it, I, I, agree with, I agree with you 100% on the goals. Yeah. I think the issue is is that some of these companies are they're distancing themselves even more than a traditional media company would. Like if you look at well, okay, that's well, true. I mean, there's they, absolutely it's like, it's like yes. they hide it because yes, and that's well, the problem that, that I have. Regardless of the trust in the brand, if you find out at some point you start digging through, it's like, oh my god, this brand that I loved, I had no idea it was from Johnson. I don't and Johnson. disagree with that. I that's don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think so. So full me a culpa here. I do believe that J and J could be as successful with with Baby Center if it stuck its logo up there, and I think it would be fine. Um, I don't think it should do it now, but I think it would be largely fine if it had done that. And that's, by the way, this is happening all of the time, right? If you go to arthritis.com, which is, um, I believe, Pfizer, you know, Pfizer's logo is all over it, right? You understand that arthritis.com, which is wonderful educational information around all of arthritis, is is brought to you by Pfizer, and I think that's perfectly fine, Um you know, and so I, I don't disagree that that in many cases the brands are taking too yeah. strong uh, of a hide and seek approach here. But I do think that if you are clear about your goals, there is a time and a place for an unbranded experience versus a branded experience. Yeah. I agree. If if it was all if people's perception of a media company and a product brand doing content were the same, then you would be we would we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's exactly but right, right now. People feel a little bit. Like, oh, that's coming from a brand, and I don't know how I feel about that. So come right out and tell them. Yeah. And if you do that, then there's no problem. Yeah, that's exactly so right. I, yeah, we don't disagree there, but I, I don't know if we still disagree or not on the viability of an unbranded experience. But that's I believe okay. that's in the, viability the one. Of an that's the one experience. thing that that's the one fault you have. That's okay. You're <laughs> a good. You're a good dude. Other than that. <laughs> All right, we have to do a quick, do a quick. Do. This Let old me give you a quick this old marketing yeah. here before we run afoul of the timekeepers here. Um, and uh, this one is a it's a short one, so there's not a lot to to talk about here. This one, by the, big, by the way, big hat tip here to our creative director Joe Kalinowski who sent this over to us. Um, we have talked about. Alcoa Aluminum before, um, and we actually, I can't remember how many episodes it was ago, but they also made an appearance in our workshop not that long ago because they were the ones who invented the term Imagineering. Um, but they have a really fun 
Um, speaking of coming up to Halloween and and uh, all those things that are fun and supernatural, they had a show uh, that debuted in 1959 and ran for two years um, on television called One Step Beyond. Did you ever see any episodes of One no, Step I Beyond? No, I did not. Jim? No, it's no. A fascinating show. I remember them um, from when I was a kid. Um, they were basically real supernatural, quote unquote. Re- it's, it's a little bit like Searching for Bigfoot is now, like theoretically a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically with dramatic dram- – I can't even speak – dramatization of the actual events, right? So people seeing UFOs and monsters and all sorts of stuff. Um, and basically they, they, they did all these wonderful things that were ghost stories in, in many ways, um, and they called it One Step Beyond. And, and Alcoa was the creator sponsor of this wonderful series that ran for two and a half years from uh, from 1959 through July of 1961. Um, they had tons of guest stars um, in these, including you know people like Warren Beatty and 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 um, you know uh, who are who else was in these things. Um, Suzanne Plachette, do you remember her as the, mm-hmm. the wife on the Bob Newhart show, and all the and William Shatner, of course. You know Captain Kirk was a was a guest star here. All these wonderful episodes. You can find them online, by the way. If you go on YouTube, you can still watch these uh, One Step Beyond. And just a wonderful example as we get into the scary, wonderful Halloween season of uh, of a, this old marketing, of a sponsored television show um, brought to you by Alcoa Aluminum, who was at the time, by the way, did a little research here. They It was the peak of their stock price and everything else. They had just invented the, and this is, this is going to make everybody cringe here. The biggest invention that basically catapulted them up was that after world war two, they needed a new use for aluminum. They had all this aluminum production capability that they were making. So what did they do? They built, they started building aluminum cans um, for beer, um, which ultimately made it as well into the soft drink market. And they started doing these aluminum cans, but the, the key invention that sort of tipped it all off was the pop top. Now, of course, kids today don't know what the pop top means, but we as, you know, you remember and I remember when can, when you bought a can of soda or you got a can of beer, that tab came all the way off the can. Yep, yep. And you would find them everywhere around, you know, they were littered all over the place. And those aluminum pop top uh, basically were the throwaway aluminum and, and basically peaked out in 1966 uh, Alcoa had its stock price peak, and it was during this time that they were sponsoring things like uh, uh, this one step beyond. So, a, a, an interesting case of this old market. Very interesting, unbelievable stuff. There so, I remember. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> I remember drinking a tab with that tab. So, anyway, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, you've got a busy week this week. I do. I fly tomorrow. Um, I'm off to uh, beautiful Warsaw, Indiana which is a couple of hours north of Indianapolis. Ooh, the the be, capital of orthopedic equipment. I will be visiting Zimmer BioNet. We, co- is, we covered uh, it on the show. That's I a content marketing I'll be visiting, I'll be visiting oh. that company there. Yes, exactly oh, right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Amazing. so I'll be visiting that company and doing a little bit of an advisory day with those wonderful folks up there. Um, yeah, and how about yourself? Good. I've got uh, I've got a local event, Cleveland Web Association. I'm going to present it for, for them this week and before I... Head off to beautiful Des Moines, Iowa next week for uh, Iowa uh, PRSA event. So that's oh, uh, getting crazy. P- it's a crazy time of year. Is it, it's <laughs> getting to that before, travel yeah, time before of year we for do, sure. Before we do the big show, Brocho. So that'll be the... Absolutely. All right, folks. Yeah. That is it 
for his grand poobanist, Joe Polizzi, and me, your grand Viscount, Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode number 205, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We do love those kind reviews. And also the story ideas, story ideas, and anything that you want to talk to us about, won't you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing? We would love to talk and converse with you personally over that lovely little channel. And of course, we need you to send email too. If you prefer the email, we can get an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. So tweet us up, send us an email, whatever you like. And of course, all the links that we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night. And of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.